open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to, I, I pulled out a sermon that I, I had started a series, I'd done a series several years ago, um, but I, I started to do it here, um, I think it was in May when I did the first one. It was out of Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25, and I called it Living the New Life in the Body of Christ, and we're focusing on verses 25 through 32. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read from uh, verse 17 of chapter 4 of Ephesians all the way to the end of the chapter down to verse 32. All right? So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. And again, he's talking about a new way of living in this new thing called the body of Christ that, he's, that he started to talk about in Ephesians at the beginning of the chapter. But here we're in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he's saying there's a contrast here, obviously a contrast. If you're going to be part of this new body, it's got to be distinctly different. But then he says there's a way to change, starting in verse 22. We call this the biblical change process. And he says, you were taught him, as in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the put-off part. Part two of the change process, it says this in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Part three of the process is this in verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm just a little aside here, this isn't part of the sermon, but just to explain what he's been doing. There's a new way of living because we're in this new, you've been united to the body of Christ, chapter 4, verse 1. You've been united as a believer into the body of Christ. We're supposed to build it up. Verse 17 says, well, you've got to live differently. Verse 17 through 21. 22, he says, and this is how you change. A new way means you've got to put off, you have to have your mind renewed, and then you have to put on godliness. Now in verses 25 through 32, he gives us examples of that. So first of all, in verse 25, he says you need to be truth speakers. Therefore, having put away falsehood. So that's the put off, right? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Be a truth speaker. Why? Because we're members of one another. We belong to each other. We need to be truth speakers. And so that was part one. That's what I did, but gosh, back in May. Part two, verse, verse uh, 26 and 27, is this part is saying, hey, be quick to resolve your conflicts. He says, be angry, yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Take care of your conflicts quickly. Verse 28, this is part three, be a hard worker that gives. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see that? So far we've had the put off and the put on. He's giving us examples, right? Very practical. And so the one we're going to look at tonight is in verses 29 through 30. This is part four, and I call it applying grace, 
that builds up in your speech. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Then he finishes up, and we won't look at that tonight, but here's the last put off and put on. Put off. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All these forms of anger, put them away. Instead, here's what you put on, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and the toughest one of all, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is practice, such a practical section of how to live in relationship with others. These are all very relational. All right. So let me pray, and then we'll start digging into verses uh, 29 and 30. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a light into our path. Thank you that it is uh, that which opens our eyes and helps us to see clearly. Lord, your word is so practical. It's everything we need for life and godliness. It's everything we need to relate to you in a way that is holy and righteous. It's, a, it's everything we need to relate to others in, in the same manner, to, to be people who display your love in practical, real ways, especially when it comes to uh, conflict. But Lord, I pray that as we uh, continue to walk in your word, that we would always have the goal the intent of wanting to be changed just a little bit more. So, Lord, we want that. We want you to uh, use your living and powerful word to do spiritual surgery on our hearts, that, that living and active word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. God, I pray that it would judge our thoughts and intentions inside of us. And, God, that we would be laid bare and that we would just say, Lord, oh, do your surgery on me. Change how we think. And out of this thinking, may there be a life uh, full of godly fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, as we look at this tonight, help us especially, particularly in how we talk to each other and in the words that we use. So, God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, and may you be glorified. And even as we sit down now and think about going to your word, we think of Beth and Lance right now. We, we put Beth before you and pray that you would heal her, give her rest, give her comfort. And uh, Lord, so yeah, we just, we love them and we just think of them now. So Lord, we love you and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So we all know that words are powerful, yes? Right? Have you guys, a little, some light words. Have you ever heard, have you ever said things like this and later regretted it? Oh, it's no trouble at all. Right? Um, sure, we can watch your pets. I love cats. <laughs> me and Jim had a little interaction about that today <laughs> I don't like cats <laughs> oh we have plenty of room come on oh hey call me anytime Ooh, you ever regretted saying that to somebody because they do call you anytime I don't know oh I'll try anything once or how about this hey look at what I can do <laughs> oh how about this over my dead body you have you ever used any of these phrases or heard of them? Right, this is kind of light. But how about this? Did you ever hear this when you were a kid growing up? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? No, words actually hurt, can hurt much harder and much longer. Much have, have a much longer effect 
I can remember things that people said to me when I was 12. I'm 53, <laughs> and I don't have a good memory. But I can remember some of those hurtful things, and I can also remember the good things too. But words are so important. And the older we get, the more that we recognize this. I mean, we have in James, which is such a practical book, you know, the Proverbs of the New Testament, he says about the tongue in James 3, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And he just goes on to talk about just the tongue and how it's so hard to control, and, and it can bless on one hand and curse on another, Right? So we, the, we know the power of words and the power of our tongues. So tonight we do want to uh, continue. Again, th- the whole point of when I started the series, it's really about relationships. If you notice that so many of the commands in Scripture, when they're, they, they deal with how you relate to each other. I mean, so much of this is yet how we relate to God. But God, Jesus himself says, hey, your relationship to God has to be reflected in how you relate to others. What am I referring to? This relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He said, if you, don't have, if you say you have a proper relationship with God and yet you don't have a proper relationship with others, what does that say about your relationship to God? Uh, no, you, you don't. Matter of fact, in 1 John, he who says you know, he loves God but hates his brother... The love of God is not in him. Whew, right? So relationships matter. Relationships absolutely matter. And when we start talking about tongue, you know, our tongue and our speech, it's so important. So we're going to focus in again on uh, verses 29 and 30. I'm specifically, instead of saying, hey, you know, we have to be careful of our words for the title of my sermon. I said, applying the grace that builds up. And where do I get that from? Well, Ephesians is all about grace. Chapters 1 through 3 are about God's amazing grace in his plan of redemption, or a.k.a. salvation. I mean, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not, it's not of yourselves, it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. So we got salvation talks about here, but also in Ephesians, we also have, there's a thing called sanctifying grace. What is sanctifying grace? Well, Titus 2 tells us that this, the grace of God appeared, 2, 11 through 14, that the grace of God appeared, and we automatically think salvation, which is true. So he says in verse 11, bringing salvation to all. And then it says, but grace does something else. Grace instructs us to put off worldly desires, worldly actions, and to put on godliness. So there's a thing called sanctifying grace. We need God's grace every day. It doesn't just save us. It helps us live every day as a Christian. And that's what we're going to talk about, how God's grace applies to our speech. We live in his grace. Paul said, in even Ephesians 3, 7, he says, I, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given, given me by the working of his power. The ministry I've received to do I was, it was an act of God's grace. So grace helps us not just live, but also to serve. It gives us our ministry, right? Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's given us his grace to serve him. So we need it for, to be saved. We need it to live each day. We need it to serve and here, it really has to be applied to the, that little organ in under, behind our teeth, 
that can be so destructive. Or it could be so powerfully edifying. When I was a junior high youth director, I told the kids when I was this when I was teaching them, because you try to think of snappy, you know, kind of object lessons, I said, look, you're either part of Satan's wrecking crew or God's building crew. Because that's essentially what's being said in this passage. What are you going to do? You have a choice. Are you going to be someone who participates with the Spirit? Look, you think I'm making that up? Look at the end of verse 29 and verse 30. It's all about the Spirit and imparting grace. So either we're going to impart grace, cooperating with the Spirit and His job of building up and unifying the church, or we're going to use corrupting speech that tears people down. What do you want to do? Right? Yeah, let's build up, right? And so let's walk through this passage. So first of all, he says, you know, I, I call this first, we have, we have to have grace to guard our words. So verse 29 starts off with the put off, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You know, when we, have you ever said, well, I just, I didn't mean it. You know, when you've said something and then someone says, well, why did you say this? They say, well, I didn't really mean to say that. Is that true? Jesus says, hey, what comes out of the mouth of a person comes from his heart. Luke 6, 43 through 45. Out of the treasure of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have Psalm 141.3. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. How many of you have ever prayed that to God? (laughs) God, help me just keep my mouth shut when it needs to happen. I need to pray that more. So first of all, he says we have to watch out for words that tear down. Corrupt, that word corrupt means decaying, repulsive, or useless. Corrupt speech hurts, harms, and destroys others. Right? That's just the bottom line. That's not, that's not hard to figure out. And words that harm can be, you know, shameful. Colossians 3.8 says this, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. Is slander cor- corrupt speech? Yeah, it's to the point of making someone else, you tear them down. And then he says this in Colossians 3, and put away obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene means shameful or disgraceful. That means filthy or abusive language. What would that include? Of course, jesting. That's another passage. Ephesians 5, 4 says this, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So this kind of speech, words that harm are crude jokes, sexual innuendo. We're supposed to be helping each other pursue righteousness, not look like the world, right? So this does not mean that we suck on lemons all day and we can't talk about anything except quoting Bible verses, <laughs> but we do have to guard that fleshly desire to fit in. Where's the biggest pressure as adults to try to fit in with the world? The workplace, exactly, right? They say, oh, some of the, you know, best gossip is served up around the water cooler, around the coffee pot, right? So we have, to, we have to watch out for that. We can't be a part of that. We have to put away slander or gossip. What does that do? It makes us think less of others, thinking poorly of someone else based on sinful words. And if we listen, but don't do anything about it, are we as guilty as the person who's doing the slandering? Everyone say, yes, you are. Because we're participating in it. We are. We become participants. We're entertaining and listening, not correcting it. Matter of fact, we go back to Ephesians 4.25 where it says, putting away falsehood. That word means half-truths or pretending. 
pretense is the word in, in the Greek, to mean, hey, if you're only telling half the truth, you're not telling the full truth, you're actually participating in sin. So the kind of speech that needs to come out is it needs to be speech that's, that's full of truth and grace, but we need to understand that, that words that, if we don't tell the whole truth, our words can harm. Words that hurt other, our other types, that includes also tone. We speak not as robots, do we? Right? Do, you, do you have a, a tone? Some of, us, some of us are more expressive, right? My wife, oh, you, she's, her face is totally expressive, right? Some of you are a little bit more mellow, right? So we got the whole range in between. But again, all that being said is that we speak with our face and with our body. So harsh speech can, even though if we don't use, like let's say we don't say, hey, you idiot, which can be pretty harsh. But could we say the same thing without using that word? Like the, by our facial expression, right? So that includes the kind of the kind of uh, uh, of command this is is for us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Includes our our body and what we're communicating. We're very good at using our words and using our body to communicate. And here's the deal, because I always try to bring this into you know relationships. Is that the, the corrupting words, does it ever help you build relationships? It doesn't, right? And, and what does Ephesians 4 verse 3 say about our goal with relationships in the body of Christ? It says to work hard, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So our words can work against the Spirit's goal for us, right? That's, that's how, if you look at Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, the first part of it, the chapters 1 through 3, there's no commands in there. It's all about what God has done in saving us. Verse, chapter 4 begins the, hey, here's now how you live. And the first thing he focuses on is how to live as a united body because we're united. And if we're going to use words that tear down, who are we fighting against? The Spirit. We're not just destroying people. We're destroying the Spirit's work in the body. That's how serious this is. So in conflicts, we have to be so careful that we, we want to say, well, how can I honor Christ? How can I cooperate with the Spirit even when this person's attacking me? In conflicts, it's easy to attack the person and not the problem, is it? Right? You, you did this. You're such a jerk. You're such a liar. How does that help? Does it help at all? You guys get, I'm going to, I'm, I want to see nodding. Does it help? No. Yes. No, it doesn't help. Does it? Right. It's, it doesn't. <laughs> you, and it, or if you assume intentions, she tried to get me fired. Oh, he hates me. Oh, they've been waiting just to get back at me. Well, how do you know? Can you read their heart? Right? So when in conflicts, when we say things like this, we're, we're, we're actually adding to the problem by reading into intentions. Or, or you assume full knowledge, right? When someone's telling you something, okay, there's, there's, it's communication, right? So you've got, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Man, I can't believe they did that. What are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with that when someone says, hey, did you hear about in, in something they say something poor of someone else. What are you supposed to do with that? How about you say, you know, I don't think we should be talking about this because that, that person's not here, and I don't know if this is really solving the situation, right? 
And, and if you might be potentially a part of the solution of the problem, then maybe you get involved. But do you act on what they just told you? What's missing? The other part of the story, right? Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears, meaning before he hears both sides, it is folly and shame. That word folly in Proverbs is not just, that's, it doesn't just mean it's dumb. It means it's morally wrong. It's sinful. So when we start looking at, at, at conflicts, when it involves words, and you hear stuff about people, you've you got to just, you've got to put a kibosh on it. You guys, that's why churches become rumor mills or gossip central. When people don't just put a kibosh to it, they'll listen to it, get all riled up, take sides, and there goes the unity of the body. So our speech is so important. We have to watch out because when we use hurtful words, it only adds to the conflict because once you say something hurtful back and they were pretty soon, the original conflict is totally gone. You don't even know what it was. You're dealing with all this extra sin that you've piled on top of it. New sins are getting in the way. Facts are lost. Feelings reign and everyone's hurt and mad. (laughs) So that's what he's saying to put off, right? Put away that kind of corrupting speech. It's not just don't tell dirty jokes. It is don't use words that attack each other, that spread gossip, anything like that. So that's what he says to put off. Let no corrupting speech. But now we get to the exchange, right? Rather, he says, do this instead. Okay, put off the old man ways of talking and and communicating. Now put on the new man ways, the new godly ways, building speech, those words that bless and build up. And that's what he gets to in the second half of verse 29. We need, to, we need the grace to build with our words. He says, put away all corrupting speech, but use this. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Why? That it may give, give grace to those who hear. Building up, that's that word edify. That in, and that conclude, by the way, uh, edifying speech can also include exhortation. What's exhortation? Well, exhorting actually has a different flavor. Edifying speech means to build up. But exhorting means to challenge somebody to spur them on. How about can confrontation be edifying? By the way, we're commanded to confront. Did you know that? Galatians 6, 1. That's actually part of the helping someone else get unstuck from sin. If they're stuck in sin and you know about it but don't say anything, are you showing them love? You're not. Edifying speech, the kind sometimes is a warning saying, What in the world are you doing? You're sinning. Because sin, remember the, here, remember this principle. Sin always destroys the person, the people around them, and the church. That's why we got to confront sin. So edifying speech does include confrontation. That's part of it, certainly. I mean, what is when we look at 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 16, and we, it says that all Scripture is what? God-breathed, inspired, it comes from God, that he's the source, and useful for what? Doctrine, right? Instruction. God's, here's God's ways. What's the next thing it's useful for? What? Rebuke or reproof, right? Reproof is like, huh? Rebuke is, that's another English word to describe. Oh, ouch. But wait, 
the spirit-inspired word also rebukes. You know why it's, that's useful? Because doctrine says, here's God's ways. Rebuke says, hey, you're off of God's ways. What's the next thing it says? Correction. Here's how you get back on God's ways. What's the fourth thing it's useful for? Here's how you, training in righteousness. That word means ongoing training. means here's how you stay on God's ways. But did you see how important rebuke was? Rebuke is so important in the Christian life. How many of you have ever had to correct your kids? I know some of your kids. As a matter of fact, my kid's down there too. <laughs> Just older. I was corrected. I wasn't corrected enough. <laughs> but we need correction to, be, to grow because we don't do things that are correct. So, so when I get into this, please, when I say use only edifying speech, that includes at times rebuke. God rebukes us all the time. Is that edifying or is that tearing down? No, they would see it's building up. Hey, you're stuck in sin. Let's get you unstuck. So first of all, so he says he gives, use only uh, words that are edifying, and he uses this phrase, only such as is good that fits the occasion. Our words have to be wisely chosen. So again, it's in contrast to corrupting, repulsive uh, speech that's not wise. Rather, this needs to be wise, attentive, caring over the words and the effect it will have, right? Again, the picture when it says corrupting, that word corrupting, that's actually a picture that they used of decaying food that was like laying in the gutter or by the trash heap. So he's saying instead of serving up decaying food, serve up tasty food, tasty words, right? To make it an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is, Proverbs 15, 23. Our words need to be wise. They need to be timely. Wise as to the occasion or the timing. I wake, if I wake Renee up at my wife, Renee is my wife. If I wake her up at 3.30 in the morning and say, babe, you're so beautiful. You're the best. I just love you. Is that loving? No. I mean, that, that's not timely words. I mean, she wants to sleep, right? I mean, I, that's silly, but at the same time, we have to understand, words, sometimes the best thing to do is not say anything. If you're at a funeral, what should you say? Very little. They're grieving. What's the best thing you can do? I love you, I'm sorry for your loss, and you give them a hug. Now, if they pull you aside and want to talk, that's different. But usually at a funeral, that, that occasion... You need to say less, not more, right? So we want to think through, as fits the occasion, there's an appropriateness to the timing of our words. There's a little quote here. I found this one. Uh, It says, speaking without thinking is like shooting without aiming. Think about that. We want to be wise as to the mood or expression of the other person. You want to read them. Here's the deal. If we're supposed to love people and show them the love of Christ, well, what was Christ's example? Did he act the same way to everybody? No, it was different people, different situations. To children, how was, what was he like? Oh, welcoming on his lap? He even rebuked the disciples. You better let them come to me. It's in Matthew 19. He was mad at them for, for them trying to keep the kids away from him. He says, no, don't you dare. He rebuked them strongly in the Greek. So, I mean, so when we see him, he has, he, the situation and who he's dealing with is different. He's tender with some, harsh with others. But, but 
think about this. When you have somebody you call your best friend, why are they your best friend? How do they talk to you? Do they just talk at you? Or do they interact with you? Right? I know it's simple, but we have to think this through. And because these, that's what this is talking about. We need to be thinking about the words that we use, not just to our friends in church, but to everyone in church. We need to get better at that. Because our words either work alongside with the Spirit to build up the church and create, well, there's already a unity, but to maintain the unity and strengthen the unity, or our words can tear down. That's why it's so important for us to think these through. We need to use timely words. We need to use encouraging words. Ephesians 4.15 says the body builds itself up by speaking the truth in love. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing, including your words, from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility your words need to show this. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do others like to be heard? Yes. So should you listen? What does James 1.19 says? Say, be slow. Well, yes, it means quick to listen. Slow, well, I'm getting it out of order here. But So slow to speak, slow to become angry, and what? Quick to listen. Work hard at listening, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, you've got two ears and one mouth? It should tell you, you know, how it should be the, uh, you know, the proportion of how you listen to what you say. But again, encouraging words do not mean you use flattery. What's flattery? Fake, right? Now, can you, can you be a, a person who's generally joyful to say, hey, you know, it's great seeing you. Just, hey, you're a, you're a good friend of mine. Or the, that, that's okay to say, right? But if you're going up to him all the time and saying, man, you're the best teacher. Man, I, I just love, that was the best Bible study last week at Flocks. You just did such a great job. And you say that to him all the time. What's going to sound like after a while? Pretty fake, right? You got to think through what you're going to say. Have you ever flattered somebody where you're trying to get something out of them? Uh, you guys won't raise your hands, will you? You chickens. I have. Not to, my, not to my credit, but I have too. We have to be careful of that. Our words need to come from a desire to bless them. I mean, that's, it's, it's easy when we start talking about our own children. Do we want to see our kids grow and become uh, godly men and women who are, who are contributors to society after they leave the house? I know that's a rhetorical question, but isn't that our aim? So our words, uh, with Taylor and, and Jake, I always wanted to help them. You know, I, I failed miserably at times as well, but I did want to see them get strengthened. When I talk to my son, who's on the East Coast, all by himself in the Navy, you know, their program is brutal. He's going through just a, a tough program. He's all done. He's coming back out here. But there's a lot of times he was discouraged. Now, I'm not with him, so what can I do? What do you think I would try to do when I'm on the phone with him? Listen to him? How would I encourage him, do you think? Because you're right, I did. What do you think I would say as a dad to a son? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would exhort, hey, bud, you're a man. You need to stick hard and go for it. But I would always say, I love you and I'm proud of you. Does he need to hear that? Absolutely. I'm his dad. I'm in his life to do that for him. Right? But do we need to do that more in the church? How often have you said to other people, man, I like, I'm so impressed with how you, and, and of course you need to mean it, it's not flattery, but how often do you look for what people are doing so that you can go encourage them because you saw them do that? 
right? What was Barnabas known as? The son of what? Encouragement. I want to be a Barnabas. And that's what the saying we should be. We should all aim to be that. The church needs more of this. We need to use words that are grace-filled so they bless others. Because it says this, here's the purpose, that it may give grace to those who hear. Again, our words are, when we say encouraging words, edifying words, we understand we are participating with the Spirit's work in the church. That means imparting grace. I'm not making this up. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, filled with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If your aim is how can I bless the person I'm talking to, even if they're mad at you, you're going to have a different answer. If you're there, if, I'm, if you're thinking, I want to win this argument, your answer is going to be very different, is it? isn't it? But if you're there, hey, how can I bless this person? How can I honor Christ? How can I bless them to impart grace in some way? That's going to really change the flavor of our speech. Words, these got to be words that bring benefit and blessing rather than corruption to the person. It's got to, here's the deal. It's got to be words that build up a specific person in specific ways, appropriate to the specific situation. Yes, we need to get better at looking for those kind of situations so that because everyone loves being encouraged somewhat, it helps build the body. Even our confrontation can be filled with grace. There's a great one, a great example out of Scripture. You guys ever heard of Nathan, the prophet Nathan? Do you remember where he confronted King David? Oh, 2 Samuel 12. Notice how he started his interaction. I'm not, you don't have to go there because we don't need to go there. But it's 2 Samuel 12. But he, he uses a parable, right, about a family that had a sheep and then a king came in and took it away. And what was David's reaction? What? He should be punished. He should be punished the injustice. And then David says, you're that man. Ooh. Oh. But you know what? Was that a timely word? And here's the deal. Was it edifying? Was it edifying? Absolutely. Because remember, he was stuck in sin. And it was destroying. Matter of fact, here's what he said. And later on, he wrote several psalms about this situation. But Psalm 32, 3 through 4. Here's what he was feeling before he got confronted by Nathan the prophet. Here's what he says. For when I kept silent about his sin, what he had done with you know, Bathsheba and, then, and what he arranged for Uriah the Hittite and all that. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away th- through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So how did David feel in the midst of his sin? Terrible is like an understatement, right? But that's what... So, so, Nathan's confrontation was timely. It was appropriate, it was wise, but it was ultimately edifying because if you read the rest of Psalm 32, it says he just rejoices in the forgiveness that he received once he repented. Psalm 51, another psalm about this situation, same thing. That he says, man, when your sins are, are blotted out, what a blessing, what relief. So again, Nathan's example is those are grace-filled words because he brought blessing to David because David was ensnared in sin. Okay, so we need to use, we need to put away graceless words, corrupting words. We need to put on grace-filled words. 
But here's the part. You see, verse 30, when I, when I read verse 30 growing up, just not growing up, when I became a Christian about 19, 19 or 20, and I, and I read this passage, I'm like, what does verse 30 have to do with what came before? Like, that felt so out of place. Well, actually, it's not out of place. It's a continuing thought. Because when we use corrupting spirit, what do we do to God himself? What does it say? We grieve the spirit. We grieve the spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Corrupt words grieve the Holy Spirit. So we need grace to guard our words. We need grace to have grace-filled words. And we need grace from the Spirit to help us (laughs) cooperate with him. Again, the Spirit here, this is actually one of those passages that proves that the Spirit is not some force out there, right? You guys ever heard of that? And especially when I was, you know, in the 70s and 80s, they talked to, there's all these people trying to use Star Wars as, oh, that's like the Spirit. He's like the force. Like, no. The force of the, in, in Star Wars and Easter is some kind of, you know, it's, it's just a, a impersonal power, whatever. No, the Holy Spirit's God, right? So we grieve the spirit when we use corrupting speech and the opposite is true if we use edifying speech what is then true if we grieve and we use corrupting speech what do we do when we use edifying speech no he blesses us for us but what do we do to the spirit if we grieve him when we use corrupting speech the opposite is true isn't it what do we if we use edifying speech what do we do to the spirit we bring joy. Remember? What, what does Paul say? Whether I'm home or away, my aim is to please the Lord. So can we please God by our actions? Yes, that's what it's telling us here. If we use corrupting speech, we grieve him. The opposite, therefore, is true. If we use edifying speech, it's like, okay, I know I'm being, this sounds, it's like high five in the spirit. Right? When I get excited, I'm high five in my friends. That's just part of, I'm very, hey, hey, woo, right? That's just my personality. So I loved Brazil. <laughs> I loved it there. But, but the point is, is that, that, that we just bring joy to the spirit, right? We can, yeah, again, there's passages, talk about other passages where we can grieve the spirit from scripture. But man, here's the, here is God himself who sealed me. He sealed me for the day of redemption. He sealed you. If you're a believer, you are a fellow believer who's been sealed by the spirit. So when I start going after you and destroy you with corrupting speech, oh my goodness, what in, what in the world am I doing? I'm fighting against the Spirit. I'm fighting against the Spirit's purpose of the church to be unified. Because here's the deal. How we live with each other says something about the God we believe in. Where do I get that from? John 17 in Jesus' prayer. May they be one as we are one so that the world will know that you sent me. Whoa. Our unity and love for each other actually says something about the deity of Christ. Did you know that? Read John 17. I think it's verse 20. It says it twice in there. Oh, by the way, 1 Peter or 2 Peter 3 it says, Set aside Christ as Lord in your hearts. And then what? And be ready to do what? Give an answer. So to anyone who asks you why you have hope. So, so they're watching. 
And so if we live differently, especially together, because it's sure easy to, to live a, a fairly godly life when you're not interacting with other people. Or you can look like you're godly because when you're around other people, guess what happens? Conflict. So the world is watching. Are those, are they really any different? Because if we have fights just like everyone else, if we're conflict, we're tearing, we're gossiping, that's just like the world, right? And that says something terrible about our Lord, right? So we have a very, very important responsibility in how we treat each other. We want to work with the Spirit. We want to make God look good. He is good, but we reflect him, and let's have a better reflection. Edifying words, and I talked about this, they bring joy to and it's a cooperation with the Spirit in unifying the body, in building up the body, in helping other believers in their walk of faith. Okay, so I've, I've hit this hard. <laughs> but this is one of those passages that is so practical in how we live with each other. Our words matter. And it's not just, hey, be careful what you say to each other. That's not, if you're hearing that, that's only, you're missing two-thirds of the message. The biggest part of the message is, man, use your words to be, just be abundant in, in blessing each other and praising each other and encouraging each other. I mean, here's a, here's a homework. You guys are all my counselees, right? We do this. We give people change projects in counseling. It's because we meet during the week at one time, and then they have five or six days on their own before we meet again. And so we give them homework that they're supposed to do each day. And one of the change projects that you have is you've got to bless at least one person each day this week who's not your child, okay, or, uh, or anyone who's really close to you you see all the time. You have to bless one other person with your words in a way that brings them blessing, encouragement, edifying, okay? So there's, there's your change project for the week. Otherwise, if you walk away with, like, with nothing to do out of this, then bad on me. Bad on me. If someone paid you 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word, would you be rich or poor? Ooh, makes me think. When I want to speak, let me think first. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And if not, don't say it. Wouldn't that be a good filter to have on our mouths? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Right? That's, that's especially in conflict. And, and we can, there's, there's more we could go through just looking at all the verses. But uh, may we be people that, you know, are known for being people who are abundantly overflowing in praise to God and encouragement to others. Be a Barnabas, okay? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for um, just the opportunity to open your word. Uh, again, we pray for Beth and for Lance tonight. And I pray that they've had a sweet time together, um, Lord, and that she got some rest and comfort. Pray for the antibiotics to work. Um, but Lord, it, even for us, when we think about the health of our church, but Lord, this local body, God, I pray, I pray that you would continue the work you began in us and, Lord, one of those being especially is the words that come out of our mouths. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, more and more people who are so, 
specific and wise and timely in, in the words that we use with each other. So God, I, I pray that would that be so. And that, that because of that, people would, would be even more so built up and, and strengthened. And Lord, because of that, we'd have a church that really does reflect your, even the unity that's within the Trinity. Lord, may that unity just be even more strengthened here, more refined. God, we want to be a church that, that just makes a difference. We don't want to just do this just to go through the motions. We want to make an eternal difference in this area. So, God, we love you. We thank you for your patience with us. You're so compassionate. You're so kind. You're so forgiving. And, Lord, may we be uh, people whose lives and words reflect your character. So we love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.